Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thanks, Julia. Uh, glad to see you guys here this morning. As we've talked about already, life over the past several weeks, even this last week, has gotten a little surreal. Cancellations of so many things, including sporting events, no March Madness, closing of Disneyland, and, uh, you know, have you been to the grocery store lately? The line. You know, uh, get that, if you go to Sam's Club, get that app where you can check yourself out. Otherwise, you'll be there for a while. And this Sunday was uh, the first time, I think, I was specifically glad to be the pastor of a small church. Because the county, state has said that meetings of 250 or more are to be canceled. Uh, many large churches are having online-only services. And you know, uh, when I heard that and I started looking, I was going, what's, I go to Harvest website, what are they doing? What's the Grove doing? What's uh, Sandals doing? And I was going, oh, online services, online services. And uh, it didn't really hit me until this morning when I was praying uh, in, our, in our time this morning uh, before service. One of the things I, I try to pray sometimes most Sundays, is that God would be glorified in our city, that God would be glorified through the worship and praise of his people as we meet together on this Sunday morning in our city and around the world. And, and as I thought about that prayer and I thought about, this is a very different Sunday in our world, in our city, around the world. There are some people meeting, we're meeting but the vast majority, or, or many in, the, in these large churches, uh, they're at home. You know, they, maybe in front of a computer, I don't know, a TV. I think about my daughter, who her, their, she goes to a church in Redlands and fine, and her son's her son. Yes, I did mention my grandson, but I, that was an accident. Uh, her husband is part of the worship. Uh, sound, and he's there, he's going to church because they're doing the online thing, but best at home with the baby, you know, I don't know how, how that's going for her, uh, this online stuff, so I began to just lament uh, at the loss of, of this day, and uh, for the people and for God in, in that sense, in that sense that we gather as his people to worship him. Riverside Life Services Banquet was canceled. The power ministry trip, at least part of it, was canceled. And this is uh, this and much more. I mean, I'm just talking about some things I know about here. Is being motivated by a, a virus. And whether you believe these drastic measures are necessary or not, it does illustrate the fact that with proper motivation, drastic actions can be taken. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, not the drastic actions being motivated by the 
coronavirus, but the drastic actions that the Apostle Paul wants to motivate the Christians in Rome and I believe throughout history to make. I mean, did you get the magnitude of what Julia read for us uh, only in these first two verses of Romans chapter 12? Do you see what the Apostle Paul, and, and always inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is the Word of God, is asking, is commanding, is instructing, is demanding his readers, Christians, you and I, to do and to be. Chad uh, referred to it some, Tom I think referred to it a little bit, the drastic actions he's calling us to take. Just, just, just take a moment and reflect on what's, what's before us in Romans chapter 12 through 16, uh, really specifically verses 1 and 2, uh, but then I'll refer to the, the whole thing. This, this past week I was uh, listening to talk radio, and the host took a, a break from talking about the coronavirus, the topic everywhere, and instead addressed the topic of why people leave their faith. And he gave an, he was, he's not a, a Christian, he's a Jewish man, he gave a number of reasons, including God not living up to people's expectations. God not protecting people from the difficulties of this life. God not answering uh, someone's prayer as they expect Him to answer it. But someone called in and said, uh, she thought people left faith because in our society of instant gratification, of a society that values safety and entertainment and fun that goes along with it, above all, they value these things. Religion or faith is just too hard. It's just too demanding. Uh, she said uh, there are lots of demands on people of faith, and she listed some. Uh, she, like going to Mass every week. She's a, she was a Catholic. Obeying the Ten Commandments. Loving and caring for other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are difficult demands, she said. And people don't want to do them, and so I'm, I'm done and I'm moving on. And I thought, you know, she's right. There are a lot of demands. Uh, but she didn't even scratch the surface of the astonishing demands God makes on His people two of which are found in this uh, first two, maybe the two biggest, I don't know, verses in Romans chapter 12, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Picture a lamb on the altar before his throat is slit. Picture Christ on the cross dying for your sins and mine. These are sacrifices that resulted in death, but we're commanded to give our bodies our lives fully to God as living sacrificial offerings, which means we must fully release as if we were dead, surrender ourselves to Him. Our life no longer belongs to us. We must be what God wants us to be. We must go where God wants us to go. We must do what God wants us to do. That's the thing. And then Paul adds, if that's not enough, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, to no longer in any way follow the ways of this world, to give up worldly, sinful, wrong acts and thoughts, to, to instead submit your mind to renewal through the power of, of God's Spirit, to surrender yourself to God's work of, of total transformation. 
Again, to become not what you have in mind, but what God has in mind for you. These are huge demands, commands, instructions, however you want to term them, that Christians are to live out. I would say these uh, demands are at the heart even of right Christian living. These commands define how we're to relate to God and to the world around us. And, And next week, Lord willing, We'll look at these two demands more closely, but, but Romans 12 through 16, in Romans 12 through 16, these two are only the beginning of the awesome demands that God makes upon his people. Beginning in verse 3, Paul will give us a, a number of instructions about how we're to relate to one another, how we're to be ourselves. There's some humility we're going to be called to, and how we're re- to relate to the people around us. But today, we're not going to look, we're not going to focus on these demands for right living, these drastic actions that that we're to take. Instead, we're going to see the motivation behind these actions. For people to act in drastic ways, there there must be clear motivation. There must be a foundation. There must be a basis. Uh, we, We are seeing that lived out before us, right? With the coronavirus. There's a lot of action going on, and the foundation is that uh, some people are being getting sick and dying. And Paul knows this as well. Therefore, he doesn't just jump directly to the practical instruction of Romans chapter 12. It comes after 11 chapters where Paul's been focusing mainly on doctrine. What we as Christians are to believe. And theology, the study of theos, which is Greek for God. Paul has been describing what we are to believe about the nature of God, about the nature of humanity, and the nature of God's work in in relationship to humanity, His work with us. And now in chapter 12 through 16, he turns from the focus of doctrine and theology to focus on practice and, and ethics and behavior and how we live. For the next five chapters, Paul provides practical instructions on how to live the Christian life. What we're to do, not do, as believers in Jesus Christ. Practical instruction is the natural outflow of the doctrine and theology that's gone before. Or put more simply, among other things, the doctrine and theology of Romans 1-11 through is given to provide the, the motivation, the basis, the foundation we need to live out the drastic changes called for in Romans 12-16. through Paul didn't begin with the drastic actions he wants you to take. He just didn't start off going, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's not verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. He began by telling us why we are to obey. Why we're to take these drastic steps. You know, when I was a kid, and my mom and dad, bless them for they are here, uh, when they told me something, to do something, if I asked why, the usual answer was, you had the same parents I did, right? Because I said so, and I've been that parent myself, right? And that's fine. You can get tired of why, why, why as a parent. But that's not what Paul does, and that's not what God does here in Romans. Yes, he's going to tell us a lot of things to do. 
There's going to be various and sundry, a plethora of commands given to us. But He also has given us uh, great reasons, motivations, the basis for doing what He says. And that's what we find pointed to in the first 11 words of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In this opening to chapter 12, in this opening of Romans 12, uh, to the practical instructions for Christian living that Paul will give, he, fir- he first calls us back to Romans 1-11. through 11. You thought we were going forward, but we've got to go back first one more time, I think. He wants us to see how, how what, uh, what's to come relates to what's gone before. So, so let's look at the relationship uh, to Romans 1-11. through The relationship of Romans 1-11 through to Romans 12-16. through And Paul makes that relationship clear with this opening phrase of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. Now, as I said, what follows this opening little these words, this statement, is a lot of practical instruction, how to live the Christian life, and a lot of drastic actions. Paul's going to make an appeal, a call. He's going to entreat and encourage Christians to live a certain way with regards to how they, how they live in relationship with God and how they live in relationship with the people, the world around them. But this appeal to right living has its basis in what's gone before in Romans 1-11. through That's what the word therefore means. I appeal to you, therefore. Let me illustrate this. For the past several years, I've been saving money. Selling most of the stuff I sell, sold on eBay went into this saving money fund. And for the past several months, I've been reading and researching and talking with people my friend Steve there, the car researcher, about what kind of car is most reliable, economical, and would best suit my needs. Therefore, on March 5th, I purchased a 2020 Toyota RAV4 Hybrid. I gave my daughter my Ford Escape with all its many problems, I don't know if it was good or bad. I don't know if it was a good gift or not. The word therefore, though, therefore, I purchased this uh, Toyota, relates my purchase of the car to the work of saving and research that went before. I didn't just, you know, one day out of nowhere walk into the car lot and say, I'll take that one. My purchase was built on something. I had grounds. I had reasons, a basis, a motivation for my purchase. And the same thing is true here in Romans 12.1. When Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that means the life he's going to call us to in Romans 12-16 through 16 is based on something. There are reasons. His, his appeal has a foundation that's gone before. Right Christian living, Romans 12-16, through 16, has its roots, its foundation, its... Uh, uh, Basis in right Christian thinking. That's what we got in Romans 1 through 11. And this is so very, sorry, so very important for us to understand. For the next five chapters, Paul's going to call us to live a certain way as Christians, 
uh, a way far and above our capacity to ever ask and think and do and be. And with the word therefore, he's saying the foundation we build our lives on is the foundation laid, that he's laid, through the power of the Spirit, in Romans 1-11. through Because of what we've seen in 1-11 through of Romans, therefore, we're to do this. And what that means is that Christian living has a solid foundation. It's built on something. Paul spent 11 chapters, and we spent 79 weeks laying the foundation uh, for the building of Romans 12 through 16. And if you miss this relationship, uh, you miss everything. That is, if you try to live out these drastic actions called for in Romans 12 through 16 without understanding and trusting in the truths, the doctrine, the theology of Romans 1 through 11, then uh, you are doomed to failure. So, what are the truths of Romans 1 through 11? If you've been with us as we've walked through these chapters, then I hope you have uh, some idea. If you've read them yourselves, if you've studied them in, in other places, I hope you have some idea of what those truths were building this foundation on. But for those who are new, and for those who, like me, have a little trouble remembering, Paul gives us a reminder. A reminder of Romans 1-11. through He says in verse 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... So the therefore provides the relationship between Romans 1-11 through and Romans 12 and moving forward. But what specific truth does Paul want us to remember in these 11 chapters before we move into action? Well, he wants us to remember the mercies of God. He is, in fact, appealing for us to act and to live based on the mercies of God that we've seen and that we've received. Now, we've looked at this word mercy in the past. It means to, to take pity on, to have compassion for, to see those in need and to feel and to act with compassion towards them. We often say mercy is giving someone what they do not deserve. Having compassion on someone who doesn't deserve compassion. And Paul is making an appeal to his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he makes that appeal by or through, or as the NIV puts it, in view of the mercies of God. I like that translation, the NIV, because it makes it clear that, that as we come to the drastic actions that follow, we are to ever keep the mercies of God before us. We're to ever remember the mercies of God that we've received. And notice the word mercy, uh, mercies is not mercy. We usually say mercy, but, but Paul says mercies. It's plural. Paul wants us to see, uh, to view the many mercies that we've received, the mercies that he enumerated in Romans 1 through 11. Because it's when we understand and we see and we keep in view the many ways God has taken pity on you and me, the way God has had compassion on us who do not deserve compassion. When those truths are in view, when those truths become inscribed in our hearts, then and only then will we be motivated at least properly and empowered by the Spirit to live out the drastic actions that follow. And so today, I want to remind us of the many glorious life-changing mercies 
which we as Christians have received. My goal is not to cover every mercy found in Romans 1-11, through or to explain everything uh, we, we see. We did that for 79 weeks. The, 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 the uh, what do you call those things? The tape, the CD, no, the online. It's still there. If you want to go back, if, you, if, I, if I come to a mercy and you didn't quite get that, we'll go online and you can look back, find that verse, and there'll be a whole message on that mercy or something close to that. My goal is to remind us, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, we took 79 weeks to do this, but you know what? Usually people read a letter like straight through. And so uh, the church in Rome, a guy probably stood up and read that letter straight through to the, to the congregation. And sometimes we might get lost in the minutiae. And so I just want to go back and remind us of the many mercies of God that we saw right here and right now today, that, that the mighty power and the truth of His mercies might motivate us, might provide the foundation for what's to come. So I, I, I'm going to take the, a moment here and just pray. Ask you to pray with me that, that we will not only be reminded of God's mercies this morning, but God, by the power of His Spirit, will take this time, will use this time as we see the truth of His mercies in our life to motivate us to the drastic change He demands of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that You would open our hearts, open our minds to, in a new way. Lord, many of us have heard these, uh, these things many times. Uh, many times in our study or reading them themselves. But Lord, I pray that You would, uh, this morning, penetrate our hearts with the amazing glory of Your mercy. And it would motivate us. It would, it would change us. As we see with unveiled faces your glory, we would be transformed. That we might act differently. That we might act the way you would have us act going forward. In Christ's name, amen. Now before we see the mercies, we need to be reminded of our need for mercy, right? For God's mercies. We need to see our need so that we can truly appreciate how God has met our need with His mercies. So, so here's the need. Romans chapter 1, after an introduction, Paul uh, goes right into it. Verse 18, here it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul makes it clear that the ungodly and unrighteous have a major problem. They will experience the wrath of God. They will be judged because of their sin. And then he goes on in verses 19 through uh, of chapter 1 to verse cha chapter 3 verse 20 to show that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, are ungodly and unrighteous. Therefore everyone needs God's mercies. Romans 3.9, for, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Everyone is under sin. There will be judgment, there will be wrath for sin. In Romans 3.20, Paul makes it clear that the problem is even greater than we might think. Because it is impossible for anyone to save or to justify themselves. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We are sinners, we are ungodly, unrighteous, we are under God's just and holy wrath. And we cannot save, we cannot justify, we cannot redeem ourselves by any kind of works. And therefore, our need is clear. 
Our only hope is that God will take mercy upon us. That God will have mercy. And praise the Lord, that's what we find and that's what we receive. Paul goes on to explain that there is hope for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ because we receive uh, God's mercy of salvation. The word salvation encompasses a number of mercies that we receive from God. Paul says in Romans 3.24 that sinners who trust in Christ are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We who put our faith in Jesus Christ are justified, made right before God by His grace. He gives us grace. That's a mercy, right? And we're redeemed, we're delivered, we're rescued, we're saved by Jesus Christ. Salvation is a mercy. It's a gift based on the finished redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But this isn't the end of God's mercies. We often think that that mercy, we talk about mercy and we apply it to this this act of, of saving, of saviness, and it certainly applies. But really, it's just the beginning The Christian life is a life of experiencing the mercies of God. What we find in Romans chapters 5 through 8 is a beautiful picture of God's mercy to those who believe. So follow along as I just briefly touch the surface, like skipping along the surface of the mercies of God that we receive. Letter C, God's mercy of peace. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are justified by faith, saved, we now have peace with God. We, we move from being God's enemies to being His children. We enter into a peaceful relationship with God and we receive God's mercy of joy in suffering. Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Because our salvation and our relationship with God, we have a a different response to suffering, to physical suffering, emotional suffering, financial suffering. We can rejoice in our suffering for it produces endurance. It proves our faith. It tests and proves our faith. And we receive God's mercy of righteousness. For as by the one man's, Adam's disobedience, The many were made sinners, so by the one man's, Christ's obedience, the many were made righteous. Adam's sin and condemnation were given to us because we are united to him by birth. We share the same uh, DNA. So Christ's obedience and righteousness are given to us when we unite to him by faith. Which means... We receive God's mercy of new life, Romans 6.4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Christ was raised from the dead, therefore we too will be raised, not just from the dead. Yes, we will experience resurrection once we die, saving that for Easter, that uh, mercy of God. But we have also been given the ability to walk in newness of life. To even now live the abundant life that Jesus promised. And part of our new life is we receive God's mercy of freedom from sin. Romans 6.6 We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. A new covenant there, Randy, right? Amen. Amen. 
Our faith unites us to Christ in a real way so that we actually experience death to sin and a deliverance from its slavery. We, are no, we, not, we no longer serve sin. We serve Christ. And we receive God's mercy of sanctification and eternal life. Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm getting overwhelmed here by the mercy of God. As a result of our freedom from sin and slavery to God, God leads us through this process. And we talked about this of sanctification, of being set apart, of living this holy life right now. We're empowered to live a transformed life here on earth. And one day, by God's mercy, we will be fully transformed to live for eternity in His presence. Then, in Romans chapter 7, a little different chapter, verses 7 through 24, Paul describes the life of, of, of one who's at war with sin, struggling to overcome sin, trying and failing and doing what he does not want to do. But because of God's great mercy, the story of the struggle ends in great hope. We receive God's mercy of deliverance from sin. Yes, we're being sanctified, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And yes, we've been given freedom from sin. We do not have to sin. But when we do, God does not reject us. Instead, by His mercy, He promises deliverance. Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through, the Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ by the mercy of God can experience deliverance from their struggle with sin. And now we come to Romans 8. And we could probably just read the chapter, but I'll just highlight a few things. Some of the incredible mercies we find that we receive. God's mercy, of, it begins with God's mercy of no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ takes on our sin. We take on Christ's righteousness. Therefore, there is no condemnation. We are righteous before God. What a glorious mercy. And we receive God's mercy of life in the Spirit. Verse 5 of chapter 8, And those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Formerly, we lived according to the flesh, but by the mercy of God, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can now uh, live according to the Spirit as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, the things, the purposes of God, the Spirit of God transforms and directs our lives for His good purposes. And we receive God's mercy of adoption. Romans 8.15 You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we trust in Christ, God mercifully uh, uh, adopts us into His family. We become His sons. All the rights of sons, whether you're male or female, you have the rights of the sons. We can come to Him with our deepest longings, with our greatest needs. We can cry out to Him as our Father. And we receive God's mercy of goodness when we do. Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who love God, 
We're called according to His purpose for those who trust in Jesus Christ. By God's mercy, all things, whether they seem good or bad, uh, work together for our ultimate good. And we receive God's mercy of total transformation. We talked about sanctification, but it, it will end with total transformation. For those whom He foreknew, verse 29 of Romans 8, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Sanctification is a gradual process, but it's also a total, a complete process. He who began a good work in you will complete it. We are being transformed from who we were before Christ to who we are becoming into the image of Christ. And one day when we see Him face to face, we'll be fully transformed. And we receive God's mercy of favor. Romans 8, 31-32. I think... Somebody referred to this this morning. I don't know if they knew they were referring to it. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God gave Jesus up for us, demonstrating that we will receive God's favor in all things. If God gives us Christ, what would He withhold from us? God's mercy, His favor, is on the side of those who trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe the greatest mercy of all, we receive God's mercy of secure love. Romans 8, 35, 39 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, maybe you guys want to shout out no at all these things, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that's pretty much everything, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To be forever secure in the love of God through Jesus Christ. To never be for any reason or by any person or being separated from God's merciful love. There you go. And then we come to Romans 9-11. through Again, a little different. In these chapters, Paul is in one sense uh, defending the mercy of God. He's showing that God is absolutely sovereign and God is absolutely faithful to His promises of mercy to Israel. That His word has not failed, that He has a foolproof, merciful plan to save both Jews and Gentiles. And in these chapters, we see that God's mercy is God's choice. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. We cannot earn God's mercy. It's not dependent on our will or our action, but on God's choice. If you've received God's mercy, then praise God. It's God's choice that you received His mercy. This is important for us to understand as we move forward into chapters 12 through 16. These drastic actions uh, that we'll study are not meant in any way, shape, or form for us to seek to earn God's favor or God's mercy. They are, however, a response to the many mercies we've already received. 
I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. God's mercy comes first. Our action comes only in response to that. And it's only, you know, we're gonna, it's, it's only because he gives us the power to do it anyway. And finally, Paul ends his argument for God's sovereignty and faithfulness by declaring God's mercy is for all. Verse 32 of chapter 11, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. The whole story, we talked about this not too long ago, redemptive history, including human disobedience or unbelief, is part of God's plan to show forth his glorious mercy to all. Not to every person, but to both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so that's the reminder of God's mercies. Let me give them to you just one more time. In response to our great need, God in His mercy, compassion, takes pity on us and gives us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, peace with God, joy in suffering, righteousness, a new life, freedom from sin, sanctification, eternal life, deliverance from sin, no condemnation, life in the Spirit, adoption into the family of God, ultimate goodness in all things, total transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, favor, God is for you, God is for your good, security and love, His love for you will never fail. And we didn't do anything to earn any of these mercies. We were chosen by God to receive His mercies. And, and God's sovereignty and faithfulness means that He has a plan to give these mercies to all, to both Jews and Gentiles. And that's just some of His glorious mercies. So are you overwhelmed by the mercies of God? Because these truths about the mercies of God are, are not theoretical. They're actual. If you're a Christian... If you believe, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you've received and are receiving these and many other mercies from God. And therefore, when it comes to what follows, it's not fear of punishment or fear of failure or a desire to earn something from God that should motivate us to the drastic actions that are coming. Instead, our motivation should be the mercies of God. God has given us everything, and in return, He demands that we give Him ourselves. And let me let you... Let me let you in on something, this giving of ourselves thing. This will become clear in weeks to come as we examine the demands God gives. Here it is. God's demands, the, the drastic actions he, takes us, he, he calls us to take, are themselves mercies of God. It is our obedience, our surrender to Him, our offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's when we do that, that's when we experience the mercies of God in our life. So this week, I'd encourage you to, to meditate. Take this list, this list home. Maybe you toss the notes usually, and maybe that's okay, but this, this week, take it home. Look at those verses. Uh, Read Romans 1 through 11 just one time in one sitting, having all this background now uh, prepared for you. Read the verses and be prepared for the drastic 
uh, changes, the drastic actions. And these actions are for your good and for the glory of God. And let me say one final thing. Just in light of our current uh, circumstances, one of the things we've see, we'll see in Romans 12 through 16 is that by the mercies of God, because we've received the mercies of God, God calls us to be a merciful people. To use what He's given us, including mercy and love, to minister to others. And so I was thinking about how I myself, how we as a church could respond in mercy and love in this uh, coronavirus situation. And as I was reading through uh, chapter 12, verse 13 stuck, stuck out to me. It says, uh, and this is very practical, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This virus has not only created a health, health issues, but for many, the reaction to the virus has created economic issues. And so many uh, things uh, uh, being shut down. Businesses are losing money. Employees are not being paid. I mean, I, uh, this came home to me. Christina and I, it's our spring break coming up. Well, actually, she's getting a longer break here maybe, but uh, spring break, we had planned to go to Disneyland. You know, first world problem, right, Disneyland? And so I was thinking, uh, oh, we, Disneyland is closed now. They closed Disneyland, so we can't go. No awe for, no sadness for, okay. And so I go, oh, whatever, Disneyland, Schmizneyland. Uh, but then we go, we, we were going to stay down there a couple nights, and we had a hotel reservation, and I said, honey, you need to call and cancel that. And then it dawned on me, thousands of people will be calling and canceling their hotel reservations. Thousands upon thousands of people will not be going to restaurants, and, and the, the economy of Anaheim is going to, take a huge hit, you know? And it said, oh, it's more than just not getting to go ride uh, Space Mountain or whatever. And so I just call us as believers, as people who've received mercy uh, like no other. If you're not experiencing economic hardship because of uh, the reaction to this virus, look around you for those who are. Are there people in your world who are suffering financially? People who are, are not working or not being paid, I'd appeal to you by the mercies of God to have mercy and compassion on them during this time, to contribute to their needs, living out the mercies of God that you've received. Maybe there's other things that, uh, you know, this idea of hospitality, it usually means inviting people in. Maybe it means going and, and taking things to people who can't get out, who shouldn't be out because of their age, because of their compromised immune system. Maybe you can serve someone in, in that situation. So take, take these things. Take these things and meditate on them. Prepare as we go forward into the, the life that God's called us to. And it's a glorious life. It's not, you know, I may have given the impression, I hope I did at the end there, that this is, uh, it's all for your good. As you, as you seek to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and all the rest that follows, that's when you experience a real relationship with God, the mercies of God in your life. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for, for each of us here today. Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that we would understand deep in our, in our heads and our hearts uh, the, the great and mighty mercy, the many mercies that you have 
bestowed upon us, your children, those you've chosen to adopt. Lord, that we would, that we would know of your mercy in our lives in a true and a real way. And that would provide the foundation and the motivation for us to, to, to live a life of obedience to you, to live a life seeking to do what you want to do, want us to do, and not what we want to do. Seeking to be, uh, live for you and, and live for the, the people around us instead of living for ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.